Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guests on today's podcast are Kelly and Adam Sandberg. Welcome to the podcast, you two. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. Um, just a little background on Kelly and Adam, and I've just been visiting with them, and we had a wonderful prayer, and they are converts to the church, um, joined the church in Arizona, so we'll little, hear a little bit about that story. They moved to Utah and have really been involved with our community here, um, our LGBT community, food bank, other groups that just have harder roads. So they are a couple that have looked at their Mormon baptism covenants and just said, what can we do to serve other people and bring people into our home? And I've been reading a few articles about you two, and you two are really awesome and have a very unique and wonderful life story. And these are the kind of stories that I think are helpful for a couple of reasons. One, I think it's good for people in our church that may not fit the cultural narrative of being a fifth generation Latter-day Saint to hear stories like you two and to hear why you joined the church and how it's helped your life and and then how you're reaching out and helping so many people and especially our LGBT community and doing that as active Latter-day Saints. So anyway, um, let's start with Kelly. Tell us where you grew up, Kelly. Um, I grew up in Northern California until high school, and then we moved to Phoenix, Arizona. And um, Adam, where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in Phoenix um, earlier when I was a lot younger. I, I, was, I was in uh, New York. Uh -huh. for a few years um and then um yeah i went back to phoenix <laughs> uh -huh. so my grandfather was he was a chemist uh for revlon uh-huh so i lived with my grandparents so we moved back and forth so you moved back and forth yeah who liked the heat in arizona the most out of you two not me neither <laughs> neither and um you've been married for 16 years 22 no 22 years and you've been in the church for about 16 years. Yes. So the first six years, you were not in the church. Yes. Talk about how you found each other and who pursued who. And that's always kind of a fun story. Kelly loves to tell this story, so I'm going to let her. <laughs> so we, um, Adam worked in the music industry. He was a singer in a metal band. In a metal band. Yes. That's I... awesome. <laughs> we might get Adam singing before the podcast is over. He's shaking his head. Maybe not. Probably not. <laughs> he was 21 years old and he had dreadlocks and tattoos. And I was 24. I was a single mom with three kids. Wow. I worked um, in adult entertainment. Wow. And then I parlayed that into a job in the music industry, working at some of the clubs with some of the bands and doing booking and promotion. And my brother had, my little brother had a band and they were auditioning singers and Adam happened to be someone they auditioned. And so we met and we became really good friends and I, I pursued him first for sure. <laughs> was it the dreadlocks? Was it the singing? Was it the tats? I think it was all of it. Was it the it. metal band? <laughs> it was. Was it the New York accent? I don't I like know if he picked up a New York accent. Oh, he can do the New York How accent. So, and Adam grew up Jewish, so he also yeah. does Whoa. this great Hebrew thing. But, um, I would like to say it was you know all of those things, but it was how kind he was. And he was really good friends with my brother and we were friends. And so he'd spent time with my children um, and played with them genuinely. It wasn't that he was trying to impress me or, or that he was fun and funny and sweet and kind. And we just kind of fell in love. There's a lot of things that some would say you should disqualify you, each other because you got three little kids at 24 right. and so if I'm Adam, I'm saying, well, I shouldn't pursue some with three kids because that's kind of scary. Yeah. And, right. And Adam's, you know, there may have been things about Adam that you thought, well, you know, I don't know. In Mormon culture, I don't think you were in Mormon culture at that point. We might say, well, he's got some tats, so I'm not going to date him or, <laughs> well, or was... dreadlocks. But you seem to kind of get past and just see each other for the goodness of each other. And we, we really did. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was, you know, I was... 24, three kids. I was very self-sufficient. I had a home and you had a home. Yeah. And you know, and financially I was, I was doing well. Um, he was 21 years old. He rented a room from someone. He worked at the record store. I mean, we had, you know, not a ton in common other than we worked in the music industry, but we, we found a lot of common ground and he saw past 
the physical aspect of me and and my my career at the time in the adult industry yeah yeah i'm glad you said that because that may just be a part of your path that was you know for sure it was absolutely a part of my path and, and i learned a lot and i like that that you learned a lot and i like that you know that wasn't disqualifying that you know anything that she had done or anything she was doing now and you both kind of saw each other's good hearts we did for yeah. sure and then i uh, i brought kelly over to my grandparents house it was for hanukkah wasn't it i believe so yeah. yeah it was for hanukkah and um and yeah i had to and i had to get my you know my grandma's okay and everything <laughs> so she were got, you practicing jewish adam yeah yeah i was and were you any were you faith kelly um, so I grew up in a home. My stepfather is atheist. As far as I can tell, we didn't really talk about religion. Um, my mother was agnostic at best. I didn't grow up with any sort of religion other than they were very anti LDS because my stepfather had grown up in Utah and been raised in a church. So I heard a lot of negativity about the LDS church, which is ironic now. Um, I ended up being Wiccan for a very long time. I was a very devout practicing witch. <laughs> so, wow. And then when I met Adam, that was too. And then we talked about me converting to Judaism and he said he was not a fan of organized religion. He appreciated the holidays and that, but he didn't want anything to do with organized religion. So. And I did either of you come from traditional two parent homes with a stable family and it, or did mo both of you come from just home situations that were more complicated than that? I definitely didn't come from a home like that. <laughs> um, basically, my mom had me when she was 16, mm -hmm. um, lived with my grandparents. Me, my mom lived with my grandparents. And then um, my stepfather, um, she met uh, when I was about four or five years old, roughly. And then um, that's actually his last name that I have. Mm -hmm. And then, um, then it wasn't till I was about 27 that I met my bio father. Mm -hmm. So that was interesting to say mm -hmm. the least. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, so, um, and then, I'm sorry. And then let me back up a little much. So then my parents were divorced, uh, when I turned 13, my mm -hmm. stepfather and my Your stepfather and my mother. And so I went and I lived with my grandparents from that point forward. So. And are either of your grandparents alive, Adam? My grandfather is. My grandmother passed away in 1999. Okay. So. And how about you, Kelly? Um, I grew up, so my mother married my stepfather when I was two. I do know my biological father. He passed away when I was 16, but I didn't spend a lot of time with him. So my stepfather was the one that raised me. Um, I grew up in a very financially well-off home. My stepfather held a very high-powered corporate job. Um, we did things that on paper looked, you know, family vacations and travel and, and things of that nature. But I grew up with, my stepfather was an extreme alcoholic and incredibly abusive. So a lot of domestic violence in my home. And um, those are things that you don't talk about and you just kind of shove them down and, and go on about your life. So I struggled with trying to live this perfect life that everybody thought I had. And then, you know, living in fear in my own home. So that brought me to a suicide attempt at 16 wow. that I barely survived. Um, a lot of mental health services and things like that. Um, I called DCFS on my family wow. at 15. Um, not very well educated back then, I think. So they interviewed me in my home with my mother in the other room. So that didn't turn out well either. So I ended up um, getting pregnant at 16, um, actually hoping that I would be kicked out of my house, which ended up not happening. And then I got pregnant again. That was my junior. I had my daughter Christmas day of my junior year. And then I got pregnant again my senior year so I could get married, which mm -hmm. was, you know, a, not a wise choice, but um, it's led me to where I am today. So my children are amazing adults now and so I love the way you talk about this with no shame and maybe you feel shame and but I just realized that a lot of there's a lot of things occurring in your life that are outside of your control 
Yes. And um, I love the way you've come together to provide a two-parent traditional home for your own children, something that neither of you had growing up. Absolutely. And that was incredibly important to us um, when we were dating and we talked about that. And then when we decided to get married um, and have other children. So it was Adam has raised our oldest three children as his own. They have his last name. You would never unless people know how long we've been together, they don't realize that he would have been 14 when our oldest was born. So um, we've we've tried very hard to raise them in a very stable, loving environment to give them, you know, those that start in life that we didn't have. And and I don't have shame. I did. And I've worked through that and processed it. And um, these were things other people put on me. Right. And so I couldn't control them. But all I can do is control how I react to them. And I decided a long time ago that the time that they took from my life is all that they get. They don't get to continue to affect my life any longer. That's really powerful, Kelly, what you just said. Really powerful. Sometimes in when I served as a YS, in a YSA assignment, I would meet um, YSAs that came out of really difficult family situations, and they thought they would repeat the sins of their own parents. And so they're very gun-shy about getting married and they were worried that they'd kind of become like their parents. And did you worry about that as you two decided to, you know, make a family together? Did you know each other well enough and feel like, you know, yeah, we're not going to be perfect and maybe we'll repeat some of the same mistakes, but we're going to be able to do this? Because a lot of people would probably seen you at this point. I mean, if I if we could have talked to you as you're this Jewish guy you know, now connecting with this one, this woman with three young kids, and there's so much difference between you. I, I, I yeah. just say, I don't know if I'd believe that you'd have a chance to make this work. Yeah, the odds are definitely against us. Oh, yeah. The odds have been against us for a long time. And we often look back and laugh because all our friends were like, oh, the, we give this three weeks. Like, this is ridiculous. Yeah, Everybody like, no thought way it was going to last. Yeah. yeah. We're the only ones of our friends that are still married. Why did it last? I don't want to say that we try harder because I don't want to discount our, our friends and loved ones that have, have tried. Um, I a hundred percent believe it is because of, of the gospel. It's our faith. We have that eternal perspective. Um, we were sealed. I wear a necklace every day that has our sealing date on it. Um, I don't stress about things that I think a lot of people do where they worry about, um, different things that just don't matter eternally. And so I think we try harder. We try to focus on what's truly important, and that is our family. And then we look at things generationally. We tried really hard to break generational issues in our family. Um, some of our children have came to us through foster care, and that was kinship. So they came through some family members that genera generation, gener yeah, that they've just year after year after year are just the same people that don't try to do any better. And we really wanted to, to break that cycle. And so if we got divorced because, you know, Adam was irritating or I was bossy or he didn't put his clothes away or we were bored, we have, I think so many people today throw away things because they're bored because it's not as exciting when they were dating and there's always something new and better and flashier, but there's not. And I try to tell my friends that I see struggle with that. I said, eventually that's going to become boring. I said, the newness wears off, the bills come, the kids get sick. It's just going to be the same thing over and over again. And we decided, and we've struggled, but we decided to invest our energy into fixing what was wrong instead of trying to start over again with something, you know, with someone else. Cause we all have our struggles, you know, as married couples or even just couples period. <clears throat> and yeah, I just feel like it's, it's pointless to kind of start over if you have such a history and if it's just something so petty as, I mean, if you think about it, if, if it's because of, let's say mismanaged money or something to me, I mean, I know a lot of people would disagree probably and say, well, that's a huge thing, but, um, the eternal perspective, it's like, I can't take any of my money or even my bills with me <laughs> when I leave this earth, you know, so, but I know who I will be living with, and that's my wife, so. This is just a beautiful love story, and 
for our listeners, I did, I don't know much about either of you. So we just kind of start these podcasts and it's not like I know what you're going to, we're all hearing this for the first time and it's really wonderful. Talk about these um, years. I can't quite remember if it's five years or so between when you got married and when you joined the church. So we were dating um, and then Adam proposed and we were living together. And so Adam proposed. And how old are you right now? Well, how old are we right now? Or how I mean, no. Oh, uh, 22 you... and 25. Okay. So still babies. Um, it's so funny to look back or look at our children. Why did you want age. to get married versus just live together? I didn't want to get married. I, I actually fought Adam for years on it, and I picked a fight the day of our wedding, and he said, you can argue with me all you want. We're still getting married. Yeah, I wanted to get married. He did. Because I just felt like... I always told myself, if I'm going to get married, I'm going to get married once. I'm not going to do it, you know, two times, three times, whatever it may be. It's going to be the one and only. And I felt Kelly was my one and only. So, so you believe neither of you had seen you had seen marriage not work and oh yeah, people around you, but you still, particularly you, Adam, had a feeling that you you could make this work and you're going to do it once and you're going to be committed. Absolutely. And you fought this, Kelly, it sounds like. I did, and I said, I have done this. I'm not any good at it. Everything's fine. Why are we, you know, messing with this? Let's just leave it alone. So when he had asked, I, I agreed to marry him eventually. You know, I thought we'd just be engaged forever. And I had <laughs> said, just so you know, you will never come before my children. I will never put you before the kids because I felt my mother did that. She chose to keep me in an abusive relationship with my stepfather to remain married to him. And so I vowed I would never, ever do that to my children. And Adam told me that he wouldn't marry me if he thought any other way because his mother put him aside for men. And so he will tell you that's one of the reasons that he wanted to marry me because of, of that. So we... What a great reason. <laughs> yes. We got engaged. Um, we were engaged for a few years. Um, we got pregnant we had a very late-term miscarriage wow. um, that actually happened the same night his grandmother was passing away from cancer. Wow. And so I felt very strongly that his grandmother was an amazing woman. I, I can't, I don't know anybody that is more amazing than, than she was. Um, she raised him to be an amazing man. And so she loved babies loved babies, loved children. And I felt very strongly that night that she, the heavenly father needed that baby for her in heaven to greet her. And so, but we still weren't religious. I just felt very strongly that that baby needed to go be with her for whatever reason. So after that, we bought a home. Um, just weeks after that, we were in the process of that. And I had a I felt, oh, I don't know if I can do this. You know, the kids are older. The youngest one's in kindergarten. They're going to school now. I'm working a regular job. Um, I don't know if I can do this. And then I got pregnant again. And so that, and Adam said, I don't want to have a baby and not be married. Like this is, we already have these three. I don't, I don't want to do this. And so I said, fine, we'll get married. But I kept putting it off and putting it off. And so we finally got married um, April 14th, our daughter was six weeks old. So wow. she was, she was there. It was very romantic as, so we, <laughs> we went in and got married. We were incredibly poor. We wrote a check. It was a Thursday. So we wrote a check hoping that he wouldn't cash it till the next day when Adam got paid. And then Adam's grandfather took us all to Red Lobster. And then I went home with the kids and Adam went to work. This is awesome. <laughs> so when I see people struggling and stressing about these big weddings and that, I said, oh, that is not what matters. <laughs> you guys are so real. 22 years later, that was our big fancy wedding day. And here we are. Uh, you guys are so real. Yeah. Well done, Adam. I love the way you had a feeling about you want to be married. Oh, thank you. Um, talk about how you found the church or how the church found you. Adam is not a fan of the story. So we were we got pregnant again. Our daughter was about six months old. Well, I am a fan of the story, just not. Well, Adam's part of the story. There's one you'll yeah, understand. It's, so. a good, it's a good story, but just... so yeah. we were pregnant with our fifth child at this time. Um, the pregnancy was going pretty well. I um felt okay. One day I was it was late in the pregnancy, and I felt that something was off physically. I felt okay, but I just 
felt like something was wrong. And so I called my doctor who had I got a hold of my doctor, he would have said, oh, drink some water and put some put your feet up. You're fine. I actually got a hold of a new doctor and he said, if you're feeling that, you know, strongly about it, just go in and get checked out. And so Adam drove me to the hospital. We went in, they put the monitors on and there was no heartbeat. Oh my gosh. So they came rushing in, they did all these things. There was still no heartbeat. So they rushed, they ended up rushing me in um, and doing an emergency C-section. We found out had I not come in, um, we both would have not survived the night. So there were some complications. And so after that, I told her, I said, there's something out there bigger than me that knew that I had to go to the hospital because there was nothing physically that would have sent me to the hospital. It was just this nagging feeling I felt. And so I said, I really am interested, you know, in kind of going to church. And he's like, we are not going to church, Kelly. That's not what we're going to do. And so I had started doing some research online and, and the internet was still Did kind of Did you lose new. this baby? I assume you lost this baby with no, no heartbeat. No, he, he will be 18 oh. next Tuesday. So this yep. baby you didn't lose. Nope. He's 18. Yeah. And his yep. name next is? Tuesday, next Corey. Tuesday, Corey. So Corey's alive. Okay, yeah. good. They they were able to save him during an emergency C-section. They saved both of you. So, yeah, they saved both of us. So I the internet was still pretty new. It was AOL chat rooms and things like right. that. And so I had joined a big families group because we had five kids and that's, I guess, considered big families, but, um, not realizing that most big families back then were religious. And so I started kind of talking to those moms. I, none were LDS. Um, so I said, you know, I want to, I was looking up churches in our area and stuff. And Adam's like, I'm not going to church. He was adamant. He's not going to church. And so I kind of put it off. Um, Christmas time came. Our son was born in May. Christmas came, we were going to, to see some Christmas lights. He said, do you want to go look at Christmas lights? I said, yeah. So we loaded up the kids and we were driving, would be the equivalent of driving, you know, downtown to Salt Lake that distance. So we're on the freeway driving there. And Adam says, I heard there's some really neat lights. And May said, do you want to go check those out instead? And I said, sure. So we turned around and drove and it'd be like driving to Provo. I mean, it was a completely opposite way. So we went out and it ended up being the Mesa Temple Lights. Not realizing that's... Yeah, we had no idea yeah. that, that he just had heard that there were some <clears throat> Christmas lights out there. So it ended up being at the Mesa Temple. So we stepped, we got out of the car and we stepped on the grounds and Adam said, why don't you go get some information? And I said, quit making fun of me because he was saying, oh, your mom's a Jesus freak, you know, all this stuff. So <laughs> this is the part he hates. Um, and so I said, stop making fun of me. He said, I'm not making fun of you, but why don't you go to the information booth? And so I started walking and I kept looking back, waiting for him to, you know, be pointing and laughing with the kids. And he didn't. And so I filled out the little card and we walked around. And a few days later, the missionary showed up at our door. So Adam opens the door. He has green hair. He's fully covered in tattoos. This is an awesome story. The, the missionaries look scared and they're like, oh, we're really sorry. And he goes, no, 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 you're in the right place. And so the phone rings and we still had house phones then. And so I pick it up and it's the neighbor. And she said, I see the missionaries at your house. Do you want me to help you get rid of them? And I said, no, we've invited them over. She's like, on purpose? Yeah. Um, we're like, yeah. The neighbors, you know, we had the whole neighborhood in an uproar. The missionaries are frightened. So we invite these poor kids in and, and start taking the discussions. So it took a while. In the middle of our discussions, Adam gets a job transfer here. So of we, all places, I yeah, transferred to Salt Lake City. Out so. of all places. So my mother and my stepfather live here. Um, they have a large home. They're like, "Oh, come live with us. You can, you know, live in the basement." And we thought, "Okay, sure, why not?" So we move in with them. My mother finds out we're taking the discussions. It is not good. Um, we can't have anybody from church in their home. So the members open up their house to us. So we finish taking the discussions with some members. Um, and then we end up being baptized. Wow. So <laughs> we're baptized and we walk back and my mother's in the garage and Adam takes the kids inside and my mother proceeds to scream at me for an hour and a half. Wow. For her being baptized. Yeah. For all the things I've done in my life, my mother chose that hill to die on for. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> it was, it was an odd experience. So but yeah what caused you adam because at first you seem to be the least interested in this what caused you to just you know be open to this well because you're jewish right <laughs> this is so, a whole i mean none well, of this makes sense <laughs> yeah so 
it was really bizarre how it how it kind of happened. So when we went to the Mesa Temple, as I stepped on the grounds and started kind of walking up to the um, the visitor center, I just felt like this almost like a warm blanket kind of being like draped around me. And I felt so like calm and comfortable and like, you know, like you would at home, like, Oh, I'm home. Oh, you know, like if you go on vacation for a long time and you just can't wait to get back and you're in your own house and you're just like, Oh, I feel so comfortable and warm and everything. That's how I felt. And I didn't understand why I felt like that. Cause I mean, I was raised, um, I mean, my mom's side was all Jewish. My dad's side was all, um, they were Christian at best, I think. But um, so, but we always practiced um, mainly Judaism. So my whole life, I was basically told that, no, Jesus, no, he was just a guy that was kind of hanging around back then. He wasn't like a, <laughs> you know, he wasn't like the Messiah. Were you a believer in God the day you walked on the Mesa temple? Did you I always, kept your belief in God? Yeah, I always believed, you know, in God and stuff. I just was never, um, I just didn't really like how um, organized religion kind of, just from all my experiences when I was a kid. And then when we started taking the discussions with the missionaries and they would point out these things like, well, what do you think about this? What, would, what do you think about, you know, modern day prophets? And I'm like, I totally believe in that. And they kind of looked at us like we were weirdos because we, wow. because, you know, we would, we would say, yeah, of course. What are they just all stopped all of a sudden? No, there's gotta be, you know? And, um, so yeah, it was just, it just felt such like a calming, comfortable place. That's um. Did you both kind of decide to join at the same time? Uh, I mean, did you both come to that decision kind of together, or was at times were one of you more pro than the other? I think we were the, on yeah, the same I page. Think we're on the yeah, same page because we had a lot of the same questions. We didn't understand in Christianity how everything just stopped. You know, how did all these things happen, and then it just stopped? So to hear you know, that there's modern revelation and that there's modern day prophets and all that really, you know, spoke to us. And so that was, that was a huge part. We were already very family oriented. So that aspect of it. Yeah. I loved the family aspect of it because obviously we didn't grow up in fantastic family homes. I mean, for the most part. So to have a community that was so tight knit with their families, I mean, that was a, such a huge, huge thing for us. So that was kind of one of my. Did you join the church in Sandy? Was that or yes. Sandy? We did. So we started. So this is when they did, you know, back in the when they did the six discussions. So we did three in Phoenix and then we did the other three in, in wow. Sandy. Yeah. And that was roughly 16 years ago mm -hmm. on April 13th. Yes. And have you been able to stay active the whole time? Um, no. So we. We've struggled a bit, um, just a lot of things culturally was, was a hard. So when we joined the church here, it was a big deal. We were the only converts in our ward, you know, and it was, it was very nice. And then we moved to Phoenix where we weren't as exciting, I guess. And so, and there wasn't the cultural stuff. Cause you know, I'm like, where's the thing in the middle of the street telling me it's enrichment night and, and these things. And so, and it turned out that Corey, who was born, um, was diagnosed at 22 months, um, classically autistic. Mm. And so having a child, um, that screamed all the time and, and those things kind of put a damper on things, but we didn't become inactive. We just didn't attend as regularly. I would never say we were actually ever really truly inactive. We uh, always, until, <laughs> I mean, we always believed that, you know, in the church and stuff, we're just Sometimes there was a... It's just hard to attend Yeah, week. attendance exactly. wasn't as great. That, and you've got kids. You've got lots of kids and an autistic kid. and Right, which that would just continue to, to spiral into other children things. But um, I became completely inactive um, after learning about the November policy. And were you back in Utah at this point? We were back in Utah at this point. So I can... I can remember it like it happened this morning. So we have a hot tub out on our deck and I was sitting in the hot tub and I try to keep up on the music industry and, and things going on. And I kept hearing 
um, stories, it being in Utah and then in the music industry about the singer for Neon Trees. So I wasn't a big Neon Trees fan. It's not my genre of music I listen to. Um, but I was curious about why I kept seeing Tyler Glenn's name come up. And so I researched it and I pulled up an article that he did an interview where he talks about how he served a mission and he loved the church and he always, you know, even coming out as, um, as LGBTQ, he, you know, he still wanted to be an active member and those things. And it was at his nephew's baptism where he realized that he would never be able to do those things for his own children one day. And I could not wrap my brain around that. It was, it was one of the most heartbreaking stories I've ever read. And I just couldn't believe that that was possibly true. I couldn't understand that the church that that I joined because of the love I felt and the comfort I felt and the peace I felt knowing that despite my earthly parents that I had heavenly parents that loved me so much that they would, that all the things that I loved about the church would make somebody else feel so much pain. And so I did some research and was heartbroken to find out that it was true. Um, and I became incredibly angry and I didn't understand it because in Phoenix, we had a same sex couple in our ward with children and we loved them and encouraged them and supported the children and supported them in their home, however they needed. And so I just could not understand how, how this information could come out and, and be okay. And so I became very angry and I became inactive and I actually spent that, um, general conference, that first general conference that I was an active getting a tattoo because I was, that was my defiant. I, I went it, to Starbucks and I got coffee and a tattoo and I was mad. And so does the tattoo my... have any specific meaning to how you felt? Um, it does. So I got a Lotus flower and the meaning behind the Lotus flower is lotuses will bloom through mud and muck because they have hope and faith that there's light above all of that. And so I looked at all the trauma that I had been through in my childhood and, yeah. and trauma we had been through um, as parents that have adopted a mentally ill child through foster care and a special need parent and, and all these things. And, and that, you know, I, I had faith and I still believed in, you know, in Heavenly Father and, and Jesus, but I had to have faith that my life was going to be okay going through all these things and that I was going to be okay without the gospel which was not true. So I, I eventually, I slowly returned, but I, my life is much better with the gospel in it. And I, I have that conversation a lot with my friends in the LGBTQ community. Um, I have a lot of people that I love deeply that are hurting. And so I want them to know that it's okay to, to be sad and it's okay to be angry, but Heavenly Father still loves them and they still have people that support them. Why did you come back? It was a slow, um, it was slow time coming back. It took me doing some work with some drag queens in the LGBTQ community and having some very raw, intense conversations with them. And then having some very intense conversations with my own teenagers about how people, as much as I need the church for myself, that there's people in this church that need me to be there to love them and to support them. I wear my mama's dragon's pin to church. You know, I have a rainbow thing on my, my bag. So anybody that comes in knows that I'm a safe place, that they are welcome to sit by us, that they are loved and welcomed. And I don't, it doesn't matter who, who they choose to love or, or marry or, or whatever <clears throat> that, that we're there to love them and support them where they are. Just like I would hope that people would love and support me where I am. We define for our listeners what a drag queen is. So a drag queen is there are a few that are heterosexual men. Um, some women there's drag Kings, which are females, which I didn't know. I knew nothing about the drag community. This was totally out of our, <laughs> our knowledge. I had um, met a local drag queen on Mormons building bridges and offered to help with an event. Um, the drag queen that I started working with is a return missionary. He is a homosexual man, um, who dresses up like a female. So it's different than female impersonators because they impersonated a very specific female. These are ones that just, they do their own, their own acts and stuff. 
So a drag queen will usually be male. Yes. Um, homosexual, mm -hmm. gay orientation that will dress up as a woman. Yes. Not and, all of them are typically, not not all of them, I, I don't say typically, but not all of them are gay. There are some straight, straight yeah, there men, are straight men yes. that will dress up They'll as a woman. Dress up, yeah. Okay. And then there's drag kings that will be just the opposite. Yes. And then exactly. there's. So it's more the way to take on that label is not necessarily their sexual orientation, but just they like to dress. So I can, exactly. yeah. And everybody has their own reasons. Um, Ryan, who is the male form, his drag, as a drag queen, he is Rihanna. Um, he gets, he says he gets to live out having all the things that he wanted as a little boy, um, that wanted little girl things. And so this is kind of so his way to, this isn't just a rebellious thing. This is sort of a, Oh no, it's not a rebellious thing. A lot of it's very therapeutic for some of them. Um, it's very, it's a lot of art. There's a lot of artistry that comes into it. Um, it's a lot of talent, just the makeup and the costume. So we've helped out with pageants. There's a whole, I mean, a huge community, um, for them and they have beauty pageants and they are gorgeous and they have talent and, and they get asked questions and, and they hold titles and they do a lot of community service. And I mean, it's, it's a really neat community. You mentioned when you were, um, coming back that a couple drag queens um, I, did you say they encourage you to come back or not encourage yes. you to come back? No, they do encourage me to come back. So because they're, are they out of the church? They are out of the church. So I don't know any drag queens that are still actively part of the church, but they, when I, there's days where I feel I'm just sad because I see people struggling and people affected that, that want to that, you know, that want to come to church and just don't feel comfortable or supported or, or don't come back for whatever reason. Um, and so when I, when I get down about that and I question, you know, how can I keep doing this? And when all these people are hurting, they, you know, they remind me that the church needs people like us. The church needs people like me and Adam that aren't traditional members that, that, you know, kind of think outside the box and that are able just to love people where they are. So they wanted you to come back. So there's people, so our church culture can improve because you guys can be voices of support. Yes. Exactly. Especially exactly. for the youth, because I see the youth. So we do about every quarter, we do a family friendly drag show. Um, the majority of the, the audience is our children and their parents and they're struggling. They, the parents love the gospel and they're trying to love their, you know, they love their children. They're trying to understand their children and, and accept them. And we give them a place where, where they can feel free to be who they are and to, to know that people, that people still love them and that we don't, you know, judge them. And I don't, we don't think these, you know, horrible, ignorant things that we hear sometimes people say, heavenly father, you know, loves everybody. And I have a conversation a lot about people that I don't know who this angry, spiteful, judgmental Jesus is. That is not who, who I believe in. You know, I was told to love my neighbor. I was told to love and serve others. There was no stipulations on that. That goes for everybody. When your wife was less active after the policy statements or inactive, Adam, did you go to church? Um, no. Um, and were you, yeah, were you, I guess, were you inactive at the same time and yeah. came back at the same time? Yeah. So basically, um, I just felt, you know, as a husband, I, I mean, obviously it killed both of us not going, but at the same time there was, you know, obviously a reason behind it, but, um, I just felt I had to support my wife and that was And were you much... ready to come back when she was ready to come back? Um, yeah, I mean, we, we pretty much, we, t I mean, we discuss everything. We always make sure that we talk. So you guys are the, kind of on the same page this absolutely. whole journey. Yes. Absolutely. And we discussed it with our children and they knew, um, they knew why we weren't, you know, active and, and they knew why we went back. But, and even when we were, you know, inactive and I told all my friends and, and everybody on Facebook and that, that even though I'm angry and I'm inactive, I will not tolerate people bashing on the church. I, I just won't. I, I still believe in it, but I need to sort through my feelings on all of this and figure out how I can be, you know, a, a good member and support and love everybody. 
And so while I was struggling with that, I actually went to one of your talks downtown and I brought our wow. daughter. And so, and I realized I can do this. Like, this is a thing because everybody and all my friends outside of Utah are like, Kelly, this is only because you live in Utah. And so I had to look at that and, and kind of take away what's cultural and what's doctrine. And I think attending, you know, you watching you speak and hearing that really helped with that for me to kind of break that down and understand that. That's and, cool. And we got, I got really angry after we moved here because of that. <laughs> so I really wanted to move here. Adam got a job answer, you know, job offer here. And I thought, this is it. We've, we've prayed for this. I want to raise the children here. And all our friends in Phoenix, like, you don't want to move to Utah, honey. You don't like, you have no idea. And I was like, no, I want to raise my children. And then we moved here and we struggled a lot that first year. Um, Adam's tattoos, um, how, just how we are as people, we have the recording studio. And so people don't think we're members. And so they will come up and say the weirdest things to us, or they will come up and say really hateful things to us. And I was really offended and we didn't fit in, you know, we didn't fit in really in our ward or, or that. And, and so I got mad enough that first year I said, I'm getting a U-Haul and I'm getting out of here. Like I'm not raising my kids here. This is awful. You know, there are stories of kids not being able to play with other kids because they weren't members and, and these kind of things. And so, and then it builds and builds and builds and you try to find any way to be, you know, <laughs> offended. So, and I started to look for any way to be offended. And then Adam and everybody kept telling me, you need to read this article, you know, don't not, they'll not be offended. And I thought, I can be offended all I want. Stop telling me I can't be offended. And then finally I read the article and I was like, okay, I get it. It's a choice. And so I finally figured out that we are supposed to be here when Adam was in the recording studio and he had a band in and the kid was talking about how he would like to come back to church one day, but he can't because he can never go to the temple because he has tattoos because his aunt told him that. And Adam said, that's ridiculous. And he pulled out his temple recommend. Just to show him. Just like, to no, show him. Look. Look at me and what did I that a, kid think, Adam? He was like, "What?" He's like, "I didn't even know you were LDS." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh wow, I'm not doing a good job, am I?" Of, <laughs> you know, spreading the gospel. But, anyways, no. I he was just number one. He was shocked that I was a member, but number two, he was shocked that I had a temple recommend and it was current. <laughs> so, um, anyways, yeah. So I love that story. Yeah, it was awesome. Tell us your favorite tat. Is there a tat that has oh. I've learned? To of ask course. people about tats, <laughs> and, and, my... and there's usually a story, and sometimes there's great healing behind tats. Oh, yeah. Well, my favorite one is probably Kelly's name on my ring finger. Kelly, there it is right there. I mean, my ring covers it up just because I always made sure that I never went past um, my wrists because of um, jobs that I would have. Because I, I used to work in a lot of different corporate jobs, so it was easier if I wore long sleeve shirts and nobody knew for long, like two years yeah. I worked a job. Nobody even knew I even had any tattoos. So it's kind of funny, but um, I don't know. I have so many that have so many different meanings. Um, like my right, my right forearm, it's all um, kids toys. But um, if you notice, they're all, there's a bear with this stuffing coming out. Wow. Um, there's broken crayons. There's a rusted wagon. There's a tricycle rusted with a missing wagon. With a missing wheel. Is this uh, your childhood? Yeah. So I look at it like, okay, well, this was my broken childhood. And it, to me, it was kind of like a reminder like, I'm never going to give this to my kids. I want them to have something better than what I had. So. That's really cool. And then my other arm is, um, I have a memorial piece for my grandmother. <laughs> Tell us her name. Um, her name's Estelle. I can see that right there. And yeah. I think I can see her last name. Or Cass? Yeah. Night, mm -hmm. Is it have a date she died? It does. 98 or is that? Different? Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, and then I, um, then I have a bunch of different flowers that represent, um, all my kids, um, birthday um their months their flower for their month so that way so basically my arms are really like family oriented <laughs> i don't have any like skull or anything like that nothing that's offensive or anything like that do you encourage your own kids to get tats or not get tats or how do you handle that with your own kids you know i i have a, um my my oldest son he is covered almost head to toe um 
and I was never one. I just, um, I don't know. I've never really been a firm believer in um, really kind of reprimanding them to do certain things or not do certain things. I, well, that sounds really bad. No, it's just fun. You're doing a <laughs> because, good job. Yeah, man. go ahead and be a thief. No, I'm just kidding. No, um, but um, as far as tattoos, I always felt like they were that they're just very um, artistic, you know, if, and um, meaningful behind certain things. And I, but one thing I've always told all of our kids is, it's there forever. It if you're gonna get it, if you think you're gonna erase it, you know, even sure. if you get laser removal or whatever. It's still a scar. You'll still see the outline of the tattoo. Right? So it's there It's there with you forever. So if you get something, make sure, you know, if you're absolutely sure that you want something, make sure it's meaningful and that it's something dear to your heart. But other than that, I tell them, I'm like, if you do decide to get a tattoo, please don't get it where it's visible just That's for good jobs. Advice. And, you know. Adam can also <laughs> tell you, so he was, he received third degree burns once um he was only burned where his garments weren't there you can actually see the line of the burn marks oh. where his garment yeah top my whole ended. right arm and then when i took my shirt because i was working on my car and i was underneath the radiator and i tried to tighten the hose and instead it came off and all the hot water that oh my gosh i've been driving around in all day rushed and went up my whole arm burned i had second and third degree burns over my whole arm and it's so funny because it stops Right, right here. And it's funny because when I get a tan, you can see the lines of where my garment shirt was. Like, and know. it got on my chest too. And the, what did the ambulance? It was the doctor and the burn unit. He had said, he said, what were you wearing? And Adam's like, oh, you know, I had the shirt on. And he said, I don't care what you were wearing. There's, you should be burned on your chest. Yeah, my chest should have been there was completely nothing. burned because that's where all the water landed. Yeah. And I had not one. It wasn't mark, even red. Not even red. So I love these stories. And I, <laughs> I mean, I, I encourage my, I go back to YSAs and parenthood. I'd encourage YSAs and my kids not to get tats, but I've learned not to make that a, a, a litmus test or a purity test of their commitment to the church or the gospel or any insight into who they are inside. I probably have had tat bias in my life, just like homophobia. <laughs> I've just coined a term. Um, and where I've prejudged people with tats. And it wasn't until I met Cruz, this new convert with 36 tats in our YSA ward. And he told me about the story of many of these tats and grew up on the streets of LA and are real tough. And I just realized this oh. is part of healing and hope and absolutely and you've got these broken toys and you've got this grandmother that saved you mm -hmm. and i just this is this is your life and i love why you have those broken toys it's not necessarily to remind you of that pain but it but it it's because you want to do something different for your own kids absolutely and Adam, that's just that's just beautiful for me. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And um, very thoughtful. And the the flower I you described, I think it's a flower. Yes. <laughs> um, so I, I think it's, and I hope we're maturing as a church because I know we mean mugged is the term Cruz used when he went to the <laughs> temple, and the nice temple lady mean mugged him because it was his first day, not because it was his first day of the temple, but he was a new convert and was in a short sleeve white jumpsuit getting baptized and he got mean mugged and maybe that term identifies with you. Oh, and, yeah. and he just was able to get through that. And I don't know if I could have gotten through that as a new convert in this church that was going to embrace me. And you've had to deal with real tough cultural stuff. Yes. And you know, where we haven't been our best and our doctor, our practice of our doctrine hasn't matched our doctrine. Our doctrine as you just taught is love inclusiveness, kindness, but then we have to practice that on a congregational basis, an individual basis, and I fall short, and you have seen people fall short, but yet you have this maturity to sort of have navigated that, and it's really remarkable, but I think it's a credit to you and your testimonies, and when you say you're angry about things, I give, I think that's okay to be angry. I think anger is a secondary emotion from pain and hurt. Yes, it's it's far more. And I tell our children this, and I tell a lot of people that I work with professionally, it's it's much easier to be angry than it is to be hurt. 
Yes. So it's easier to focus on that anger than to, to feel hurt. And so that's, and I have to identify that. Am I angry or am I hurt? And, and I don't think it's just a, a church thing. I think it's a human thing to fall short because some of the most awful people I know aren't any religion. There's good people that, you know, are not LDS. There's good people that are, there's horrible people that are, and there's horrible people that aren't. It's just, we're all here having a human experience. So, but I think it's made us stronger and able to, to reach out to people more and to understand. And I've, I've seen that and I've learned that. And when I try to become inactive or I try to be angry or I try to not share our story, Heavenly Father stops me and is like, oh, that's sweet, Kelly. That's not what we're going to do here. And so I've learned to just, and that's why I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not shameful because I know that my trials are so I can help other people. That's cool. So, and that's what my blog's about. I went to a blogger retreat last year and the whole way there, it was in at Bear Lake, the whole way there I'm driving and I'm praying and you know, what, what do you want me to talk about? You know, and I wanted to not talk about anything important. I really didn't. And so I'm at the blogger retreat and I'm sitting in the dark by myself and a, another woman comes in and she said, did you say you adopted? And I said, yes, I did. And so she starts asking me questions um, about some traumatic events. And I thought, okay, Heavenly Father, I get it. I'm supposed to share our story, our conversion story, our struggles, our struggles with mental illness, our struggles with you know, special needs children. These are all things that I guess I'm, I went through to share with others. And if I can make somebody feel less alone and remind somebody that they're loved and that they're wanted, then that's all that matters. I'm just touched by this. I, re- I read this quote a lot in these podcasts. It's from Henry Norwin, the wounded healer. And a minister's service, and you're both ministers, a minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by the suffering about which he or she speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led out of the desert by someone who's never been there. I love that. Yeah, me too. And you are the wounded healers. You know multiple deserts. And because of that, you're able to help so many people. And it's a beautiful part of your divine life mission. I wonder if this is what you signed up for in the pre-mortal life. Very difficult growing up situations, very difficult home life, really having to be on the streets and working it out and figuring it out for yourself. And now bringing in all these people into your home and your unique ability because, you know, you're able to lead them out of the desert because you know that desert. And and repentance makes anything we all do, you know, takes care of any sin. Of the, and I'm not sure the desert represents sin. Sometimes it does if we've been in that kind of a desert. But it doesn't take away the lessons we've learned as we've strayed, <laughs> so to speak. And so somehow then we have better capacity to help others. And so... I love that, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Christ is the ultimate wounded healer. He knows every desert. And um, so I, I get really tender for who you are and the work you're doing. And there's no elders quorum lesson or release society lesson or priest quorum lesson you missed because you weren't in the church or Laurel lesson. You weren't in those lessons anyway that prepared you for your life mission, but your own life prepared you for what you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. And... Um, and it's wonderful how you're using that to help other people. Thank you. Um, and I think a lot of what you do is not known very well. My impression just visiting with you is the kind of traditional service we do in our church. It's all really good. You may have some of that, but I sense you have this kind of separate off-the-record ministry it's not like you're not like called and sustained in church to go right. do what you're doing. Yeah. yeah, And you might even be held under suspicion sometimes by some, maybe not, that are wondering how, what are you doing? You're you know, recording songs with drag queens and putting on drag queen events. Oh, and- for sure. And I, I, I promise that our child is probably the only young woman in the history of the church to do her young women's service project and talk about it at... Evening in Excellence, that her service project was to help at a drag queen show for the LGBTQ community in Salt Lake. So I'm, 
I'll get up and bear my testimony about things I've seen at Pride. I, you know, we are, we are very outspoken. We are, we don't hold back. And I'm, I'm sure there's people that think we're just absolutely out there and, and wonder what in the world. But there's also that mom that came up to me in the hallway once and said, thank you for sharing your testimony. My son is gay. And she whispered and I said, does he know? And she said, well, of course he knows. And I said, then why are we whispering? And she kind of chuckled and I said, do you have a good relationship with him? And she said, oh yeah. She said, he comes over for family dinner. You know, I, we adore his partner. And I said, then be proud. There's parents in this building that have heterosexual children that don't have a relationship like you have with your child. That's cool. And so, and ever since then, because there are children there and most importantly, they're heavenly father's children. And so they, they need love. We have some amazing youth in our ward and in our stake that are openly out that attend, you know, sacrament that, 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 and, and I see their parents struggle and I want their parents to know that we love them and that, that they are beautiful. Is your ward supportive of what you're doing or suspicious or do you get a mix? Our ward is very supportive of what we are doing. We're really lucky. We've got a really awesome ward. We often joke that we can never move because our ward is absolutely (laughs) phenomenal. We, and and I, I believe that, that that happened for a reason. When we moved here, we put in offers on nine homes. I was in the middle of packing. The realtor was at our house in Phoenix. It was a mess. Adam was here early trying to find a house. And he said, I'm going to go look at this home and meet the realtor. And I said, I don't even care. We have to move. I have to have somewhere to go. And so the map was wrong on it. Adam found the house and it ended up being in the same neighborhood where we were baptized years before. So we said, great, we'll take it. Um, we did all the paperwork. Adam went up to the church to meet the bishop and the bishop happened to be in our bishopric when we were baptized. They had split the no word boundaries. Way. He was like, so, the Sandbergs. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. So <laughs> half yeah. of our ward had been uh, had been split. So half of our ward was in the ward we were moving into. I, there, that is not a coincidence. Heavenly Father absolutely led us to there. So they already knew us too. So yeah. that was awesome. Yeah. And so, you know, we are not the typical members. We are, we have... Do you, you have know, regular callings in your ward? We actually, what's funny is we currently do not have callings. And I think, yeah. and the bishop's always like, you're so busy. happened with a lot so of busy. wards with going to the two-hour block and less staffing. Yeah. Yeah. And but they maybe know your do. bishop knows you're serving in a different way and is fine with that. I don't know. And I think he does. I and think so, so. They call us a lot when they're looking for service projects and stuff. So this, we make... We made a deal with the kids this year. Our kids love service. They are such service-oriented people, and I love that. And so we made a plan that we were going to do at least one service project a month that you know had nothing to do with church. We serve a lot in the church when they ask for help. But um, So the first of each month we go and do service. Um, a lot of times we go down and do meals and things at the teen homeless shelter. There's a lot of LGBTQ youth down there. Um, so we sit and talk to them. Adam talks to them about music. Um, I have access to some concert tickets and stuff. So I'll hand stuff out when I have it and, and things like that. Um, so we do a lot of service that way, but we are the family in the neighborhood that you will see cars pull up because we are having, (laughs) I did not make up this name. I'm just going to say that now. So some of, some of the people in the drag community had asked if they could, we could have a game night. And so they, they deemed it family homo evening. (laughs) <laughs> and so we, we will have that over and play games and, or we'll watch movies and, and things like that. And they love it. And they ask all the time, when's, you know, when's our next game night? When's our next family night? So we are very non-traditional, but they know that you are respectful in our home, that, you know, that we are active members that, and we love and support them. We come and Adam does a lot of photography for their drag shows and things. I've shown up to, um, pageants to help them get ready with their costumes. I, you know, sew costumes and fix wigs and nails and we come and cheer them on. We go and cheer on, um, there's a LGBTQ football team and kickball. We go and cheer them on. So we, we support them and love them and they're our friends. And sometimes our kids actually interact in some of, um, like for instance, um, with Rihanna, she'll use our kids sometimes as almost like props, (laughs) in her performances um like when we do the all ages shows um like she just did this thing where it was like mary poppins, was mary poppins. so she used three of our kids as like the mary poppins kids or something so yeah cool. it's kind of neat that what lessons are you teaching your kids with your service this way 
I think basically just to love everybody and show people that you respect them and to not judge anybody. Like the last job I tell, I always tell this to my kids, to our kids. Um, the last job you should ever want on this earth is to be the person that has to judge anybody. That's Heavenly Father. That's the only person that can judge. And I'm a firm believer in that. So I always tell them, like, if somebody says something to you or looks at you weird or anything like that, I'm like, just smile at them and just, you know, brush it off. You know, turn the other cheek, sort of. We so always tell them, just be glad that they're not so unhappy that they feel they have to put other people down to feel better. But if we can raise another generation of people that are tolerant and loving, then we've done our job. And so, and that's, we pick our battles. We pick our battles with the tattoos. We're often, you know, the ones at church with the kid with green hair or, you know, that do their service project with drag queens or, you know, those things. Because, you know, being a member of the church is about being Christ-like. We, we joined the church because we wanted to follow Christ. And so... Man, there's who did times... Christ hang out with? Right. <laughs> and mean, Yeah. And he hang out with like the lowest of the low. I mean. Because he loved them and right. he wanted to show them support. And so, you know, we tell the kids that the church doesn't end, you know, after these two hours or when you leave the, you know, these walls of these buildings. It's who you portray yourself outside of church that really matters who you are, that shows who you are. And so we've always taught them to, to love others and to serve others. If there's LGBTQ people listening, what would your message be to them? I've thought about this a lot today. So I just want them to know that we love them. And if they want, you know, to come to church, that they are welcome there and that they are wanted there. And there is somebody that wants to sit by them or take them to class or listen to their story. And if they don't want to be there, that we understand that if they're not comfortable or they're so hurt, that we understand that. And there's many of us that feel that pain for them and that love them and support them on this journey. But regardless of what happens, you know, Earthside, that their Heavenly Father loves them. And that's what's most important. What have LGBTQ people taught you too? Patience. And, and tolerance and a lot of understanding. Um, it's very easy for me as a heterosexual female to sit and, and say all these things, but to show people and to get past their pain and their anger and that they let me be part of their life, no matter how many people have hurt them, is, is beautiful and amazing. And that they are Heavenly Father's children. They are funny and sweet and people look at them and they're like, oh, well, they're, you know, they're homosexual or they're a drag queen or they're this or that. They are loving and kind and supportive and they are everything that anybody else in my ward is or anybody else in the church is. We're all just trying to do the best that we can. Really wonderful. Any concluding thoughts either of you would like to share? Just uh, thank you for giving us this opportunity and thanks for having us on. We really appreciate it. And we really appreciate all the work that you do um, with your podcast. It's beautiful. Thank yeah. you, Adam. Tell our listeners what you do for the food bank because we haven't even talked about that. Oh, yeah. So um, <clears throat> I'm, a, I'm the revenue accountant for uh, the Utah Food Bank. And um, so basically all the monetary donations come through me and then I, I – uh, yeah, I uh, rec record everything. And, and you've been there almost seven years, I think. Yeah, and before that, I was at St. Mary's Food Bank uh, in Phoenix um, for five years. Yes. So, so this is just you, Adam. Yeah. Serving, Absolutely. you know, professionally um, in an area where you're seeing so much need and meeting needs. Absolutely. And Absolutely. It's really cool. Any concluding thoughts from you, Kelly? I just want to thank you for the work you do. This is so needed. Um, we were very aware of, you know, the struggles in the LGBTQ community and the suicide rates are are frightening. And as parents, we we want these kids to know that they are loved and they are that they are wanted here. And it takes people like you to educate and to run these podcasts 
and people to speak out and that more people should speak out. Absolutely. And thank you for joining us. I think you're an example. I was certainly, when I stepped in this space, wanted examples of active LDS people that um, mentored to me how you could how being active LDS and being supportive of LGBTQ people is not a conflict, but just really part of my baptism covenants. And so I found some people that were mentors to me, and you are now a new mentor because I'm seeing how you're doing it. And and I just think, rightly so, you just look at what Christ taught and what you're doing, and it's just consistent. And I also think, you know, if we had you on the podcast for 10 or 20 years, you talk about what you're teaching your kids. And I think some of your greatest paydays is how you see your adult kids respond or your teenage kids respond because of the life lessons you are teaching them. And I think that'll be some of your greatest paydays. Um and see some of, you know, th- them, you know, you and them. I, I said that backwards. I get a little backwards sometimes. Sorry, listeners. Um, and I think that's great for all of us as parents is what are we doing as a parent to show Christ-like behavior to other people or something very visual about what you're doing and it's seen by your children. And I think that's will be, I think what you're, I think it's one of the other added blessings of what you're doing. So, um, Adam Sandberg, Kelly Sandberg, thank you for joining us. You're a wonderful couple. So glad you're in the church. So glad for what you're doing in our community. And and I'm so glad for who you are and your ability to just heal and bring hope and, and lift and serve other people. You're a remarkable couple. It's a love story. It's a beautiful <laughs> love story. Just seeing the two of you interact, you're in love and and you're doing wonderful things, and it's been great having you on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you.